All right, so we got Coach Ron McKeefrey, the man, the myth, the legend, going to spend a little bit of time with us today. Um, Coach, I I'm going to do this a little different than I have in the past. Normally, I kind of like to have dialogue and, and more of a conversation. But honestly, with you, you just you have such an interesting perspective and you're exposed to so many different things. I really just want to fire away a bunch of things that, you know, I think a lot of things that that our interns, myself, my assistants, and, and people that, that keep up with the show want to know. You just have a lot of insight, too. So I'm going to just rattle off things and fire them off at you. And uh, I just uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to get out of your brain today. So as long as you don't mind, that's, uh, that's what I plan on doing. No, awesome, man. Let's do it. All right, so just having a little different perspective now, this is kind of, a, I guess, a self, self-serving, selfish question here. And, and being, you know, out of actual the football side of things now for a few years, um, I guess, one, have you continued to shape your training philosophy as if you were still thinking as a football strength conditioning coach? And if so, you know, just kind of walk us through what your general training philosophy is right now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, very much still coaching quite a few. I'm even coaching still a couple of football teams. But, um, but that said, yeah, I always look at it from a, from a you know, football strength coach's lens uh, as I go through things. In fact, I, you know, I try to um, challenge myself to go through and, and learn um, from these, you know, I really ask these coaches from like a rugby or from a, um, you know, maybe – uh, you know, MMA or something along those lines perspective of what they would do if they were in a football strength coach's shoes, having never been exposed to the sport. That's been really insightful um, because obviously we come at it from a background of, of having coaches input, learning from whoever we learn from, the combine, a lot of different things are kind of already preset. So if you knew nothing about the sport, how would you attack it? is often a question that I ask whenever I'm traveling or, or meet somebody from a different sport. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely insightful. Um, that said, I feel like, you know, going back to uh, what I learned from Ken Manny 25 years ago, um, you know, and, and really being a principle-based strength coach, not a philosophy-based strength coach, really has shaped everything. And I, I still feel like I come back to that even with as much as I learn. In what ways, uh, I guess just more detail into that, in which ways would you say, or I guess what would you say is the biggest difference between being a principally or principle-based strength coach versus a philosophy, uh, a philosophical or philosophy-based coach? Yeah, I, I, you know, I came to that um, early on in my career because I kept getting the question um, as a young strength coach, what's, what's my philosophy? And as a young strength coach, I, I had no idea what my philosophy was. Um, now, you know, Ken Manny had, had, had sent 10 principles over that he based his program around. And, you know, I kind of took that and I would answer that question by saying I was principle-based, not philosophy-based. Now, what I've learned is, you know, I grew up, um, you know, I, I, I learned from, I learned weightlifting from Esteban Javork, you know, so the Javork barbell complexes, dumbbell complexes. I grew up down the street from them. So I grew up a weightlifter. Uh, so traditional periodization, tr traditional lifting. And then my one of my first jobs was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was traditional high-intensity training, you know, one set to failure. And what I learned really quickly was both worked. You know, here I was, and, you know, I saw unbelievable results as an athlete um, myself and what it did for my teammates. But then turn around and, and you know, we're in the NFC Championship game uh, using a high-intensity program, you know. And, and so um, – 
those 10 principles overload and progression and balance wow. and development, periodization, perfect technique, variety, supervision, reversibility, um, specificity, evaluation, everything kind of comes back to that. And that's something that even early on, um, I would print that off and that would be something I would go into interviews with to make sure that I was on the same page as a, as a coach. Now, I've been in every scenario. I, mean, I, I tell a story now. Um, recently, I was over in China. Uh, we, we work with 29 of the Chinese Olympic teams. And, you know, I've got five coaches that I'm onboarding that to leave in China. We're, we're setting up the weight room. We had taken the, the coaches through um, kind of a, you know, a, a workout to show the leadership committee what we were going to be doing. And, uh, you know, we set the weight room up. It's about 9 o'clock at night. We set it up perfectly. We're ready to go. We got to wait. Uh, we have a session at 6 a.m. the next morning. We get there at 5.30, and they had taken every single weight outside of the weight room and, and shipped it off somewhere. And here we are on day one, you know. And so if my, if my program was, um, you know, a powerlifting-based or weightlifting-based, um, that I would have been in really tr- in a lot of trouble, especially for about two weeks, which it took them to get weights back in. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, the way I describe it now is is to have a big toolbox and be able to go to that toolbox whenever um, you need to be able to to pull something out to be able to get the guys um, to push past their present capacity in some shape or form. Yeah, no, I love it. We we talk a lot here about about concepts um conceptual you know like we talk about 40 yard stance starts how no two 40 stance starts are going to look the exact same but there's certain concepts that we want to see and that's what i love that not the principle versus philosophy that's that's awesome all right uh let's keep rolling so biggest unique thing i think you have is you are surrounded by so much knowledge all the time with what you've done with iron game chalk talk which uh shout out to that show awesome awesome tool for our industry um, what you do with play, just what you've done in your career, and then everything you've learned just from trial and everything you've done. There's so much information that's around you at, at all times. What is your process? I mean, I'm just trying to think in my head, like, how do you absorb that information? How do you say, okay, I'm going to apply this thing? Okay, hey, that's a really good idea, but it doesn't fit into my program. How do you, or do you have a system, or what do you do to process all that information and then apply it? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I recommend uh, my interns, my staff do, especially when they're young, is um, for them to essentially take each topic of strength and conditioning, and and um, this goes to a bigger conversation about niching down and trying to become an expert in a specific area, so that you bring something to a staff's um, that's unique that you that you bring value in. That said. Early in my career, I, you know, I, I came from an NAI program, no strength coach. In fact, they just hired their first strength coach just a couple of years ago. Um, and I had nobody to kind of really point to or teach me the different principles of strength and conditioning. And so I started from a, literally a, a blank slate and had to build my knowledge base um, across the board. And having a filtering system really was something that, you know, you just couldn't keep up with all the information. So what I did um, is I would keep three-inch binders. I don't, I don't do this anymore. It's more digital now. But um, I would keep three-inch binders uh, on each topic, so speed and power and weightlifting and nutrition and every component of athleticism. 
And when I felt like I, and I would collect information, I would collect articles, I would collect uh, manuals were big early on in my career, um, lectures, the whole deal, lecture notes. And when I felt like I had enough information on that topic, I would write my position paper on that topic. Um, really? And so, and what I ended up doing was I used a lot of those papers and I would turn those in as papers from a master's degree. Um, and I've just, you know, just manipulate the teacher and let me turn in something I wanted to turn in as opposed to what they, they, they assigned. Right. But the, but the, what that did was it gave me a filtering system that every time I read something new, I had something to base that from on, on whether or not, you know, it, it, if it was contrary to what my belief system was, or if it was something that added to it. And essentially I would create PowerPoint presentations for each one of those topics and that became, you know, my, that would became my question is, does this deserve a slide in my present, in, in my, in my PowerPoint presentation? If it doesn't, then it was something I would let go. If it was, then I would add a slide. Um, I did this last night. I was watching Peter Butter Falcon or whatever with my wife. And there was a, a quote in the movie that applied to uh, a leadership presentation that I give. And, uh, and so I just made a slide really quick on my phone and stuck it in that presentation to come back to it for future reference. So um, I think you do have to create some sort of filtering system, whether or not that's digital or, or it's a paper of sorts. If I was a young strength coach, I would do what I did and, and turn those papers in. Um, but as you get older, I think having maybe PowerPoints or presentations on different topics is a way to kind of, um, you know, make it so that you're not drinking water through a fire hydrant. So what, what's the biggest mistake when you talk to younger coaches, or I guess let's just say coach, any coach in general, as far as, um, as far as what you just said, as far as, as you, you see a coach who reads something all of a sudden wants to change his whole program or whatever it may be, what are some of the bigger mistakes you see in that? Well, I think you just hit it on the head. I think not having a, a, a again, I take everything back to principles, you know, and so if I can't explain how I overload it or how I progress it, or you know how it fits within the periodization scheme of my program, or if there's perfect technique, or I can add variety to it, then it, it doesn't go in. And I think so many times people wanna they wanna try things. I mean, the reality is is that you're the guinea pig. You need to be the guinea pig, not your athletes. And so um, trying it in your own training, 100% agree with trying it on your athletes. I think that's the big mistake um, that people do and. Um, you know, especially being older now and seeing how my body feels <laughs> each and every day. Uh, there's no doubt that I did some things that were probably not smart uh, through the years. So I, I think being too quick to throw things in, um, I think being too quick to, to, to try to appease the shiny object syndrome um, is what is probably the problem that most coaches do instead of just sticking to a really solid program that can be built upon it. What do you think if you had to assess just, just, I guess, your program, what you're doing with your athletes right now, and even maybe throughout your career, what, what, if you had to say a percentage, what, what percentage or range would you say of your program adapted per year? Like how much would you say, hey, yeah, that, that really changed this year. I really changed that this year. Yeah, I'd be lying to you if I said it was a lot. I would say it's not, it hasn't been a lot. Now, what I try to do is I try to, to, I really come at things from that variety principle and really, you know, I try to change implements. I try to change 
um, execution or, you know, or rep speed or something along those lines uh, to make it different. But I think when you throw too many new exercises or too many new strategies at your athletes, um, I, the reality is that four years is only, especially in a college football setting, um, is not very much time to, to, to create adaptation, especially when you throw in all the stresses that come with it. And so being consistent and, and being able to build upon that year after year, I think is, is super important. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I would say if I was putting a percentage on it, I would say maybe 20% of my program changes, but it's only really changing in, you know, tempo or execution or implement or modality, um, things along those lines. Ron McKeefrey right now sitting in that chair. He calls Ron McKeefrey at USF 22-23. What does he tell him? Yeah, I mean, people often ask me because I, you know, I asked the question in my podcast, what's the biggest mistake, right? Um, to me, the biggest mistake I made, especially as a young Ron McKeefrey at South Florida, if you go back there, there's, there's a dent in the door where I threw a 45-pound plate at a kid for being late. Um, you know, uh, to me, confusing passion with emotion is the, is the biggest thing that most coaches fail to, you know, to realize. You want to show your athletes how passionate you are um, about them making the right choices, you know, but you let emotion creep in. And when you do that, there's a chance for you to break down the relationship, you know, and, um, and so you cut the kid out, you, you call him a name, you do, you know, whatever, uh, you throw a plate at a kid, you know, there's a chance for you to, to, to break down the relationship. Right. Um, and so I think it's important to take a breath, pause. Doesn't mean that you need to hold them any less accountable to whatever that may be. Um, I think you've got to over communicate your, your accountability structure and what constitutes, um, the standard and, 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 and going against the standard. Um, but once you do, you need to be super consistent. You'd need to be non-emotional. I'd say that is even as a parent now having, you know, four kids and raising four kids. Um, you know, those, those are relationships you can't break down. Right. You know? And so if you have an emotional response there, that's a, it's a big problem. So taking a breath, hold them extremely accountable to the standard, but, uh, being non-emotional when you're dishing out your, your accountability. Bring up the standard. And it's just, it's interesting because we've talked about this, but you know, I feel like a lot of coaches and even I, I you know, I spend so much time programming and, and down down to the rep, right? Down to the percentile, down to the velocity, down to the, the the yardage of the tempo run. And we spend all this time on these details of programming. But then you think about the standard, right? And what you talked about in the culture. And and do we spend enough time talking about or programming and, and really being intentional about culture and about the standard? Um, I ask myself that all the time. I think we, I think we need to do more, but I guess my, my question to you then would be how much of a role do you think that plays in the actual success of a program versus, you know, we spend all this time talking about programming and we think that helps us win games. Uh, where does that stack up compared to culture and, and standard? Yeah, this is a big question that I get a lot because, you know, traveling internationally um, quite a bit, the rest of the world does a much better job of science driving training than um, the other way around. Right. And, and um, 
you know, you go into some of these countries where, you know, it's so research driven that it's almost like a laboratory when you walk into a weight room session and you're like, you feel like if you raise your voice, it's going to be out of line, you know? Uh, but then you turn around and you come into our, some of our settings and it's freaking nothing but jumping up and down and screaming and music blasting, but there's not a whole lot of real science going on in coaching. Um, I think the big, I, I think it's extremely important. I mean, I wrote, I, I wrote a book a couple of years back where I feel like to be a success, you have to be three things. You have to be a great technician. And that's what you're talking about. Sets, reps, volume, intensities, you know, velocities, all super important. You got to know, you got to know that inside and out to be a, a good practitioner, but to be, the next evolution in that is to be a great manager of time, people, and resources, and people being the most important part of that. Um, and then you combine that with being an entrepreneur and always kind of sharpening the sword and challenging your ideals. Um, really, if you do all three of those things, that's how I think that you get to the next level as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, when you come back to managing people, people, you know, it, it, there's a there's a good book, um, but Chip and Dan Heath called switch um hold on, I'm sorry. <laughs> hold on. There's, a, there's a good book uh by chip and dan heath called switch and in that it gives the visual of a uh, man riding an elephant down a path and the man re represents the rational mind the elephant represents the emotional side and the path is the situational world and so whenever you're trying to change culture, whenever you're trying to change a person's mindset, so many times as coaches, we give them all the science jargon and we speak to that little man on top of the elephant and we try to convince them that drinking water is good, right? So you should drink water because of all these reasons why hydration is important, right? But we don't tap into the emotional side, you know, so if that elephant wants to go left and you want to go right as that man, which way are you going? You're left. You're going left, right? So we got to tap into the emotion and that's, that's where the culture piece and the energy piece and all that comes into play is you've got to give them, you've got to paint a picture that it's not because it's transactional of you telling them that you're going to win more ball games or whatever. That's, that's coach speak. Everybody says the same damn thing, right? What you got to do is you got to tap into the emotion of why they want to be great. Why do they want to, why do they want to accomplish? What goals do they want to accomplish? Uh, and why? And I think everybody has a muse. Everybody has a version of, of something that they want to be. So for a lot of coaches, that's some other program, right? That's Alabama, that's Georgia, that's the, you know, the New England Patriots or, or whoever it is, right? They, they, they're always comparing themselves to them. For athletes, a lot of time it's a pro athlete or somebody along those lines. So you got to tap in, you know, there's all kinds of strategies, but using, finding their muse and using their muse as, as a, a guide um, is definitely one of those ways, creating emotion in the, in the room and, and, and tricking them into working hard. That's kind of a, a very superficial way of doing it, but it's effective. Um, but really got to get it in and, and going back to like the Simon Sinek, start with why and, and really tapping into what they do and why they do it um, is important, you know, and so, for me, I always talk to, um, you know, I, I, our players, I always ask them, you know, three questions, you know, when I first meet them, what, what would they do if they didn't play football, right? What's the most difficult thing they've ever been through in their life? And then who's, you know, who's, um, 
who's their inspiration, right? Who's the most important person in their life. And when you get into like most athletes have never thought about their mortality in the sport. So they, you really start to tap into what motivates them outside of football or basketball or whatever. Then we're usually, we're usually a product of our, 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 you know, our adversities, you know, and we're, we're usually motivated by that. So knowing that, so when you, when you find out what motivates somebody, you can tap into that in the training session. It becomes, it doesn't become a yelling deal. It doesn't become a, a transactional deal. It becomes like, dude, are you, you have told me that this is what you want to do with your life. Is that choice really helping you do that? And you just put it back on them. So as simple as that, non-emotional. And I'm telling you like nine times out of 10, it's going to clean, clean things up right away. Yeah, no, I, I can't agree more. Um, I think that that's just – it's such a challenge of what you said, just finding a balance. You know, like it's – it's you feel like everybody's got to be on one side. It's either all the science or it's all culture. Um, and, and we miss the boat by not just – you know, it's okay to have a little bit of both, you know. Um, I think that's – that that's where it lies. But what um, – spinning it to industry-wise – you know, you're, if anything, you're on top of our industry as far as seeing the most, hearing the most, you know, you've pushed our industry in, in, in a great direction as is. And, and uh, I thank you for that. But wh where, what else needs to change? Where do you see in our industry, what else needs to change and what can we do uh, as coaches at this level to help change it? Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the kind words. I think, uh, I think a couple things. One is a, we're still in the very, in the first hundred years of our profession. Right. It's only existed really, I think, 68 years, you know, yeah. in, in modern form. Right. Um, so we have an obligation as, as, as coaches in this time to, to be able to document things better than we, we are. Think about if you could go back and you could document medicine or law or, you know, engineering or anything. Think about if you could document the first hundred years better. That's important. Right. So we have we all have an obligation to give back and to find our contribution to this first hundred years. Um, I think the three things that, are, that, that will be the most impactful in, in this time um, in our generation of coaching, uh, one, I think you need to put a strength coach at every high school. I think that that serves as a good breeding ground for young coaches without the, the, the eye of and the pressures of, of ESPN and the media and, and all those types of things. You can make mistakes, uh, but not, you know, but not so bad that you hurt somebody or those types of things. Um, I think it also gives you a place for your aging strength coach to go when they're done chasing the logo yeah. and they just want to stay put in a certain location, you know? Um, and you look at most other countries, their best coaches are with their youth. So um, putting a strength coach at every high school, I think is super important. I think creating a degree in strength and conditioning is, is a necessary um, must in the next 20 years. What that does is, um, A, you, you give a, another place for aging strength coaches to go and mentor younger up-and-coming strength coaches. I think you drive research from practitioners instead of academics. You know, so people that have been in a weight room like myself for 25 years, you know, I've got a few ideas of things that I would like to try if I had time to be able to do research. Um, you know, and I think it's important to, to, to bolster our academic you know, I mean, strength coaches are some of the smartest people on the planet. That's why, that's why I named my book 
CEO strength coach. I think if we did anything else, we would be the CEO of companies. Um, take special people to be able to get people to run through a wall at 6 a.m. and in the freaking six degrees, at, you know, um, and, and do it with a smile on their face. Like most people can't do that. So, um, and the intelligence that goes along with it. We got people that are PhDs that can't find jobs. You know, yep. so we've got to, you know, I think, uh, you know, building up our academic profile um, and, and, and creating a degree is important. And then third, I think we need to create what's called a high performance manager in other countries, but would be an associate athletic director in our country that, you know, most of the time that's a strength coach because they have a relationship they can speak and, and they're, they're a liaison with the, with the coaching staff and the head coaches, you know, they're trusted. Um, as opposed to most associate athletic directors in this environment are, you know, they're, 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 they're not experienced. They're usually lawyers or they're maybe, from a, you know, maybe they're a, 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 a level removed from the interactions with the coaching staff, you know, and so they're not trusted. So the strength coach is being able to move into some of those leadership positions to be able to lead up and down and, and, and horizontally, um, I think is super important. So if we did those three things, we put a strength coach in every high school, we created a degree, and we, and we started becoming associate athletic directors, I think that would do more for our profession than anything for the last 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. I think the last point kind of hits it, but I mean, you've been, you spent a lot of time in Europe, so you've seen how integrated they are with strength and conditioning, AT, physical therapy. Um, I mean, do you feel like, and obviously at least how I feel is in America, we are not very integrated. We're not doing a very good job of, of being a cohesive uh, group. That's just here for the athletes. I think there's a lot of ego there. There's a lot of, you know, just, just, you know, new newness to it in a, in a certain degree. But do you think that that third point you made about having associate athletic director titles for strength coach will help with that integration? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I mean, strength coaches and ATs or strength coaches and, you know, nutritionists or whatever. I mean, the only time they really have problems are, are because they're siloed and they're fighting for turf, right. You right. know, fighting for resources and those types of things. Um, if you know there was a, a integrated model where there was a, a collective effort coordinated by somebody to to break down those walls and, and increase communication and really come at it like you said from the, the athlete's perspective and focused on going down the line and saying okay you know what are we doing for Deion Sanders number two you know how we, you know, what are we doing from academics? What are we doing from nutrition? What are we doing? How do we make this athlete the best that they possibly can? Then I think you start, especially if you have somebody that's in that level um, that has the, 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 the head coach's ear, there's a lot that can be done, you know? And I, and I think, you know, I think, again, why that's often become a strength coach that becomes a high performance manager in other countries is because they're, they're, they are considered part of the coaching staff. You know, and yeah. they are, and, and they do have the trust. And, and that's the part that, you know, like we keep fighting as a profession that we keep fighting to go into the medical model. And it's so wrong, in my opinion, um, to do that because we think that that's going to provide stability for us, you know, and you know, we're not going to get fired and this, that, and the other. But I mean, the reality is, is that's such an important job that it's, it's, it's always going to be a part of the coaching staff. You know, so now you just you went to be being paid less, and probably being the 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 seventh person 
the seventh smartest person in the room, you know, uh, when you're comparing yourself to a neurologist and a, you know, physical therapist or whatever on paper, I should say on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to being, you know, what we truly value is coaching coach. I mean, that that's a word that should be celebrated. That's leading people on a journey to some a destination they can't get to on their own. I mean, that's where the, the root of the word comes from. So like we should embrace that instead we should be fighting to be the third coordinator or the assistant head coach. Um, and if we do those things, now we really do have a seat at the big kids table and we can, we can affect some change, you know, and, um, in those other countries that high performance manager is usually a strength coach because of the trust and, and because of the integration of having so much. And when you have the, when you're not fighting those turf wars and you have the ability to step back, then you start to look at it from other perspectives and you, and you start to say, okay, here's how I can really help athletic training and, and maybe help bolster their point as opposed to being in the moment, the kid walking in that hadn't showed up for weightlifting, hadn't showed up for treatment on time. And, and then it appears like they're getting out of something. Right. So that's when we, yeah, that's when we don't tend to handle that well. Well, coach, I know you're, I know you're wildly busy and uh, it means a lot, obviously you coming on and spending some time with us. Um, before I let you go, just, you know, we have a, you know, at least who this is directed towards or who I try to really open it up to is young coaches in the industry. Um, any, any advice or one main piece of advice you have for, for young strength coaches or young, young covers and so on and so forth? Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest challenge in this field is – hold on one second. It's, it's not getting dogs. That's my, my advice. I love them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the, the biggest challenge for coaches, there's a good book that, that I'm actually reading right now that really sums this up well, but it's, it's the, the Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And it, it talks about the difference between finite games like playing football, right? You know the rules, you know the players, you know what a win is and what a loss is, right? But then there's the infinite game, which is – like you don't win, you don't win the game of life. You don't win the game of parenting. You don't win the game of, of even strength and conditioning, right? It's an, it's an infinite game. Yeah. And so the goal in an infinite game is to stay in the game. And so many times as coaches, we don't, we don't plan for those periods of transition, right? And, and that's tough. You know, whenever you're, it's, it, whenever you go through challenges in this field where, you're going to be at the highs, the peaks, and you're going to be at the lows where you're not making any money as an intern. Then you're going to, you know, you're going to get a couple jobs and then you might get fired. Those periods of transition are the parts when people typically are forced out of the profession. Right. And so what I've tried to do in my career um, is for 25 years, that's, you know, I rode the wave. Right. But I've also set myself up by creating other, other skill sets to be able to, to use everything that I've learned and, and continue to kind of create a, a little bit different route, you know, and, and stay in the game um, and on my own terms. I think that's more the most important part, right? I, I'm not things you know, like a coach isn't dictating things to me anymore or an AD isn't dictating things to me anymore, but I'm still making an impact in young people's lives. I'm still improving the profession. I'm, I'm doing, I'm still coaching um, those types of things. And so to me, it's, it's having a plan for the periods of transition. I think that's the best piece of advice uh, that I would give 
coaches these days is making sure that you understand that there are going to be ups and downs um, and that you're prepared for those moments of transition and that you're developing other skill sets. Um, you know, when I, when I first got into kind of thinking like an entrepreneur, thinking like a business person, I did it because our head coach got fired at South Florida. I didn't know if I was going to have a job. I, mean, I was strength coach of the year. We'd been to four bowl games or five bowl games at that time straight. We, we'd been up to a number two ranking and all of a sudden I could, I could be fired. And, and that didn't sit well with me, you know, um, just the lack of control in that. It really it bothered me. So I read every business book you could and I was like, I was going to get out. I was going to, you know, that's why I took the military job. I was going to build a business on the side. And when I got big enough, I was going to, I was going to get out completely. And what I learned by learning all these different business skills was that that made me a 10 times better strength coach. You know, when I learned time management skills or outsourcing or um, learning how to actually read a uh, P&L statement or, or things along those lines, it made me a better coach. Um, and so I think so many times where you, you get so wrapped up in reading all the different strength and conditioning books and becoming such a great technician that all of a sudden you look up as a 40 year old man or 45 year old man and you're, and you're out of a job and you're like, okay, now what? Um, and so if you develop those skills, then you start to learn how to develop really true beneficial relationships across the entire platform and being at places like Buffalo and others, there's so many resources available to you. Um, that again, if you're playing the, the 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 small game, the finite game of just trying to win ball games, and you're going to do it at whatever expense, then you're gonna you're they're going to be ups and downs, right? But if you play the infinite game and you you're looking for all these strategic partnerships and relationships, you know who knows where those relationships are going to take you down the road. So that would be probably the piece of advice I'd leave you with. Yeah, no, I think that. The question you get as a director all the time from other coaches or people that have worked for you in the past or people that work for you right now is what do I got to do or what's my next step or, you know, am I ready to become a head strength coach or what do I need to work on to become a head strength coach? And my answer is almost always get better at managing people, whether that be athletes, coaches, situations. But I think that's a, that's a huge takeaway, uh, especially I think for young coaches trying to get into those roles is you talk about – you know, being a great technician, I just, I think we, we pour a ton of that, a ton of our time into doing that. But how often do you think about your managerial relationships with your players, with uh, administration, with donors, with uh, whatever it may be, but what are your managing skills like as well? So tons of good stuff, coach. And, and like I said, I really do appreciate it. I'm, I'm well aware of your schedule and, and everything you're doing and I keep up with you. So I know uh, spending spending 30, 35 minutes with us is a is a, a chunk of time. So I appreciate you, man. And once again, thank you so much for what you do for our industry. You know, you're one of the big guys that motivated me uh, kind of down the path that, that I went as far as really giving back and um, trying to give as much knowledge as I could to the industry. So I appreciate you, like I said, leading the way for, uh, for us guys and uh, keep in touch. And it's always a pleasure. No, awesome, guys. I appreciate you. And like I said, you know, the beginning, I, I know how much work goes into putting these types of things on. And, um, you know, anybody that, that puts himself out there and tries to better not just himself, but other people, are, you know, is somebody that I want to be friends with and, and uh, watch what you guys have built and what you've done uh, in your careers. It's, it's motivating as well. So appreciate you. Thanks so much, guys.
You guys, go get a, you guys aren't playing Eastern this week, right? No, that one's over. All right, well, then go get a W this week, and, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, sounds good, Coach. Thank you. See ya.